What's going on? What's going on? It's the Tamale Mafia podcast, the place where everything and nothing collide. And it's just another Monday in the Tamale Mafia universe. I'm your host, Aaron. I have a very, very, very special episode for you today. Because I sit down with a very, very good buddy of mine. One of my longest friends, best friends. We've been friends since we were little bitty kids. And uh, this is the kind of friend that always challenges me to think beyond my current scope. You know, when I'm thinking through things, he has the ability to push me beyond the edge of my own personal uh, capacity, <laughs> so to speak. Because I'm, I'm kind of an idiot sometimes, and uh, it's good to have somebody to like push you to think beyond idiot realm. Uh, but anyway, we'll get more into that here in the conversation. But um, I just wanted to welcome you guys to the show. And um, let you know we're going to have this conversation basically about masculinity and what it means in today's society and how it applies to our lives. It's a really good conversation. It's a it's a conversation packed with all kinds of opinion, um, and uh, I mean neither of us are experts, but these are the things that we think about and we question. And we're trying to navigate and help each other navigate in our lives. So I thought we would let you in on a little bit of that. And uh, hopefully you learn something or feel inspired by it along the way. Um, if you have thoughts or comments, you can always join the conversation. Facebook.com forward slash Tamale Mafia. All right, guys. So having said that, let's get into this week's episode. As I sit down with my good good friend, longtime buddy, Joseph Brewster, and uh, explore what it means to be masculine in today's society. very special guest with us today because I think everybody, every person um, should have somebody in your life who is, who is a lot smarter than you are <laughs> and um, who uh, studies more than you do and reads more than you do so that you can, so that they can ask you the tough questions that you don't think of yourself. And Aaron's still on a quest to find that person, but until <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. until that point, <laughs> no, that guy for me has has been for years has been Joseph Brewster, and he's with us today. I'm super excited. I've been wanting to get you on a podcast for a while because we have had epic conversations from the time we were children. I mean, we've been friends since we were four years old, four and five, something like that. Yeah, long, long time. We're much older than that now. So, a little a majority of our lives, we've been a part of each other's lives, um, and so. Uh, I think earliest I can remember was probably um, before you went to college, I think, when we were in that like middle teenage to older teenage years. Yeah. I think that's where we really started like sitting out in your front yard looking up at the stars and trying to break down the universe. <laughs> well, we did have some debates about whether or not the Dark Knight was a satanic figure at some point oh, that's in, in, right. in front of a conservative Baptist church in Greenville, Texas. That's right. That, <laughs> and what, when that, when that came out in, what, 89? Yeah. The Dark Knight? Yeah, it was around when Tim Burton was rebooting the series. And Batman was no longer pow, smack, and right. bright blue. And, and then, you know, conservative Christians were concerned that he was a representation of demonic powers. Yes, because of his, his first of all, his elongated bat ears. Yeah, and um, all black, and yeah. being dressed in all black, and 
associated with darkness and night. Yeah. Yeah, which he probably is, you know. Batman as a character is probably, uh, you know, the Satanist's uh, attempt to infiltrate America and convert everyone to the occult. <laughs> However, yeah. uh, they haven't convinced me yet, so. No, no. Well, they had me convinced back in 89 or 90. I mean, because I remember you walked up with a, a Batman action figure, um, and I mean, to be clear, back then you had all the action figures that the rest of us weren't allowed to play with. <laughs> really? Because yeah. I always felt like I was restricted. I remember I could never play with any He-Man toys and uh, like no Cabbage Patch Kids or anything like that. They were all associated with occultic practices for right. one reason or another. Yeah, well, it was because that book came out. Um, Something uh, in the toy box. Yeah. Satan, Satan in the toy box. <laughs> Satan in the toy something box. Something like something that. Like that yeah. <laughs> I looked up that book recently, or actually, it was probably a year ago, just to just to kind of refresh myself. And uh, yeah, I, I hated it. Even <laughs> looking at the cover made me angry. Um, but yeah, that that book came out in that like video series and all the stuff that we were doing at the church. I remember being a kid, and and it was like, well, I mean, if you thought you were restricted, I wasn't allowed to own the toys that you had. So <laughs> you know, yeah. we were doubly <laughs> restricted in that regard because. You had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures, and I wasn't allowed to play with those guys. Um, I think because some of them were smiling, I got away with it more. They seemed more innocuous <laughs> than, you know, I don't know, dark clothes. Anything with magic, that was off limits. And Ninja Turtles, they weren't really magic. They were, you know, pollution created them, and then they used real weapons. But when you get into things like Power Rangers or He-Man or anything like that, these people were channeling some sort of force that probably wasn't... Uh, officially condoned by jesus and so <laughs> I, I couldn't touch any of those yeah did you have did you have star wars no but i think it was more because i just didn't know anything about it i wasn't allowed to watch those movies or go to theaters so um i just didn't know anything about star wars i remember at one point getting a you remember record books where they give you like these little book booklets and in the back they'd have a 45 like a little record and you could oh, take yeah. it out of the sleeve and you could play it. Yeah. So I got that. It was like an audio version of A New Hope, the first episode of the second, whatever, ep- episode, four. episode four. Yeah. Yeah. And my brother reading me the book and we listening to the little 45 record, but I didn't even know they were selling toys at the time. I don't remember seeing those in the store. Hmm. I'm old. Yeah. Well, I think. Yeah, I don't remember toys either, but I know they existed because I've seen like I've seen them now throwbacks, you know. But I think the, the big thing for us was always GI Joes because those guys were were like the toy to have. And I remember I I wanted Snake Eyes so bad. <laughs> That's like all I wanted was Snake Eyes, and my mom was like, "No, you can't have Snake Eyes because one Snake that's right. Satan, that's representation of evil, Garden of Eden, yeah." all dressed in black. That's another uh, representation of evil. Um, It's Storm Shadow. He was all dressed in white. He was the good version of Snake Eyes. But Snake Eyes was a good guy. Right. Well. And I couldn't have gotten Storm Shadow because he was Cobra. And (laughs) I couldn't own any Cobra because the snake, Cobra. So I could only have G.I. Joes, but I couldn't have Snake Eyes, and I was so mad. (laughs) I remember, like, when I was... I think I was married already, and I was like, you know what? God dang it. I'm going to buy (laughs) a freaking Snake Eyes, and I went and bought a Snake Eyes toy. I bought a Snake Eyes toy since I was married, yes, just just for the nostalgia of it. I had it on my desk for a while when I was in the ministry. I had a Snake Eyes figurine. Yeah, I bought the, like, when they did the reissue, like, the 12-inch figures, I bought this Snake Eyes ninja guy, you know? (laughs) He had, like, swords, and he had the whole thing. He was super cool compensating for something from your childhood <laughs> yeah com- definitely to buy the 12 inch figure because yeah. i never got him growing up <laughs> yeah well my kids when i had kids they destroyed him he had like kung fu grip and everything <laughs> his hands were missing so he was doing like the like he had like this just the devil horns because the rest of his fingers were missing yeah i don't remember too many intelligent conversations from our childhood other than the batman one it wasn't until we got yeah. Into high school, I think that we... Oh, yeah, we rabbit trailed in. <laughs> yeah. Like, how did we get on this? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, once we got into high school, and then we were like, I remember just sitting out in your in your front yard and trying to break down the universe, like, 
figure out how we got here and where we're headed. And uh, back then we were still pretty, I think we were still both on the same, on the same plane of like where we stood with our faith and our religion and stuff. Um, and so we, we had a different scope back yeah. then in our conversations than we do now. Um, we both come a long way and have ventured away from our childhood um, teachings and kind of the things that we were involved in in the past and, and then try to find some kind of like stable foundation to land on. So now when we break down the universe, it's a whole different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but we were having a conversation recently, and I think it was kind of because of a pod, one of my previous podcast episodes, episode 15, and I was talking about my this like recent struggle with uh craving masculinity and trying to figure out like what it means to be a man and how I feel like a boy sometimes in my head um and we started having a conversation on t- via text message and I was like oh this is good stuff we need to I need to save this because we need to do a podcast on this because you brought up some interesting interesting points um in that conversation and one of the one of the questions that you asked me via text was like how do you manifest this in real life? Like how, uh, what does it mean to be masculine? You know? Um, and I didn't know how to answer the question and I thought about it. Cause I, initially I was like, I started writing. Oh, like working with tools, you know, just trying to like <laughs> the physical manifestation of being a, a masculine man. And so I was like, obviously working with tools, working with my hands, you know, if I knew how to take apart an engine, I'd probably feel pretty manly. Um, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, that doesn't really capture it because, well, one, there's a lot of females and feminine, even like non-masculine, you right. could say males that, that are into that kind of stuff too. So it's like, well, that's not a single, it's not like a single, if you do this, then this kind of thing, you know, it's not that mathematical equation. So I was like, the more I thought about it, I was like, I don't know. I don't know how you, how do you manifest it? And I thought, well, maybe it's more like a feeling because... Uh, like I was saying, I feel sometimes like I'm still a kid in my head and it's hard for me to believe, oh my God, I'm actually almost 40, you know, and I don't think of myself as being almost 40. And I remember when I was a kid looking at my dad and when my dad was almost 40, he was like, what well, everything by all means, you would consider him a grown ass man. <laughs> but did he feel the way I feel? And I've never asked him. And and he did a lot of things in his lifetime that would be considered manly things. He was in the military. He, um, yeah, he wouldn't have yeah. been considered a wimp or. No, not at all. I mean, he was a tough guy for sure. I mean, is he still, he's still hard around, worker, but yeah, yeah. hard worker, um, worked with his hands in the fields and stuff. I mean, he was, uh, he, I mean, as he got older, he got into engineering and stuff and was in an office, but. Yeah, tough guy, military, Marine Corps, like hardcore. So I always looked at my dad. I never questioned, is my dad a man? You know, and I think if you had told my dad he wasn't a man, he probably would have punched him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he probably would have hit that guy. Whoever said that. Well, well, what, when you think about that, the question that comes to mind is: In what scenarios can you imagine someone accusing another person of? not being much of a man. You know, you sometimes in popular culture, you'll hear that in a, in a movie or something. You'll hear an accusation coming from a partner or a wife or, you know, you're just not being a man right now. In what case do you hear that being used and what does that mean to you when you hear that being said? Well, interestingly, um, not too long ago, several months ago, my dad and I were at uh, at a neighbor's like one of my dad's friends properties and we were helping him load up some stuff in his truck and uh he's talking this guy is like this guy that just rambles on he just talks he's got a thousand things he's saying at once and he somehow he got to talking about how he had hired this guy to help him do some work around the place around his property and the guy was worthless the guy didn't know how to do anything and um so this guy my dad's friend was like what kind of man doesn't know how to take apart an engine and put it back together? I could, t- I could take apart an engine and rebuild an engine when I was 12 years old. My daddy taught me that. 
And if, uh, what kind of man wouldn't know how to do that? And you know, he's just going on like, that's a worthless father that wouldn't teach his son how to do, take apart an engine when by the time he's 12 years old. And this guy's just old man, yeah, just rambling on. And my dad is like, like looking at me, you know. <laughs> and he and later, later when we were recalling, like kind of laughing through the conversation, my dad was like, "God, I guess I'm not worth a shit, man. I mean, yeah. I didn't teach you anything about taking apart <laughs> engines." And, uh, and I was, so it was kind of an interesting, so when you, when you mentioned that, it's like that, that kind of stuck out to me, you know, like to this guy working with your hands, being able to work with tools and stuff. That's what, that's what makes you a man. So you're not a man if you don't know how to do this. And it was the first time ever that I saw my dad kind of like reel backwards, like, oh, I didn't teach my son how to do that. So does that mean I'm not a man, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I would have never... I would I would not have held that against my dad. You know, I don't hold that against my dad now that he didn't teach me certain things. Maybe he didn't know certain things to teach, you know, but well maybe if you were taking apart and putting together engines it would complete your sense of masculinity and then <laughs> that's maybe yeah. that's the missing link. I doubt it. But <laughs> well, I mean it is one of the things that I that I first started to type whenever you asked me that question. I first started to type well, working with my hands, you know, being able to work with tools. And I was like, eh, maybe that's not it, you know. Same thing, but like there was a guy on Instagram that I follow and this guy was in the military veteran. He's super tough guy, but he's, he recently started a, some kind of little company where he's building things out of wood. And he posted on his Instagram this past week. I didn't have a dad growing up and you know, I've always struggled with masculinity and I'm going, this guy, this guy too. He goes, and I'm finally for the first time in my life, know what it feels like to be, a man who works with his hands and and I was like wow so it sits in that guy's psyche too you know and this guy's a tough dude mm-hmm. who's been on he's been you know he's been on TV for being a tough dude you know what I mean and so he posted that on Instagram and I was like wow If you're finding any part of this conversation even just a little bit interesting or exciting, um, please head on over to our Facebook page, join the conversation there, like it, share the link, comment if you can, if you have anything to say. We'd love to hear from you. Um, So anyway, thanks for listening and uh, let's get back to our conversation. Well, I think there comes a time where legally we transition from being an adolescent or a dependent to being an adult, but I don't know that that transition psychologically or physically, physically, I think there might be a stage at which you'd say that transition is complete, but psychologically, I think we're always in a state of oscillation. So we never leave behind the child. And we never fully convert to only being the adult. We have moments of going back and forth. Our body doesn't go back to being adolescent again. And our legal status never allows us to get discounts at the restaurants again, like we could when we were six. But there are moments where we distinctly feel psychologically like we're six again. And these insecurities and this uncertainty comes crashing down on us. And, you know, we we wish that we just had a parent there who would fix everything and we didn't have to make these decisions. I think that's something that throughout our life, uh, I don't want to say there's a tension between the adult and the child. I think sometimes there is, but I think what I would like to say there is, is a sort of harmony or a um, complementary existence between this childlike part of you and the adult part of you. 
so that no matter where you get, I think you'll be 70s, 80s, and still struggling with the concept of how grown up am I acting really? You know, when I assess my fears and my insecurities and my accomplishments in life and my relationship statuses, you know, how much do I feel like uh, I can say that I'm a man? I don't know that we'll ever, any of us, get to the point where we don't have to ask that question again. Yeah, but what is it about us that makes us ask that question? Why, why can't we just be... Where does that come from, the need to say, oh, I don't feel grown, I don't feel like a man? I, I, like, not like a, an awareness, but actually like a deficiency where you feel like I am not living up to what I need to be. I'm not where I need to be. Like, what is it that drives that? Is it a societal thing? Is there some kind of like thing that's that's training us and or like programming into us from an early age that this is what you need to become and if you don't get there, but what is that thing? You know, it's like why do we ask that question? Oh, I think absolutely. I don't think you can separate individuals from the society that they've grown up in and the way that their culture has been programmed. I don't know that there's any way to say how much of this is a society and how much of it's just coming from you. I think those are so strongly integrated. It's, hard to tell the difference. But what do we mean when we say, man, I've used this term before. I've talked to my son who's 15. I've said uh, probably this week, I think, I made a statement to him where I said, I need you to act like a man. And what I meant in in that context was um, he was struggling to be authentic about an experience that had happened. And I could he was feeling insecure and embarrassed about it and he had gone to some lengths to try not to address it and what I meant in that moment wasn't that I needed him to do something which was unique to masculinity what I meant was I needed him to do something that was unique to adulthood and had I been talking with my daughter at the same age about the same experience I I might have said I need you to be a woman about this so what I meant by that is I need you to move from the place of being a child who's insecure and afraid to a place of being an adult who's willing to take responsibility um, and who's learning to be self-sufficient, if that makes sense. So I think when I think of the difference between someone who is manly and someone who is not, I don't think of activities. I don't think of hunting or fishing or or anything like that, uh, because we live, I live in the inner city. I don't live anywhere where you can go hunt and fish. You'd have to go a long ways. Most of the men that I know work in development and programming and computer-related jobs. Is that manly? I'm imagining the scenario you, you brought with the, the engine, and I'm thinking, extrapolate that you know, 50 years in the future in a conversation being something like, you never taught your son how to write HTML code? Like, what kind of guy doesn't teach his son how to write? Hey, everybody knows how to make their own websites, and they can take them apart and put them back together. Is that going to be the definition of manly? And I, I think if that's what we're going to use, it's constantly going to shift with the culture. And maybe that's okay to a certain extent, but... There's a certain egalitarian part of my thinking that wants to say that shouldn't be something we exclude a gender from. If you want to take apart and put together engines, do it. I don't really care what your gender is. <laughs> if you want to code, if you want to go hunt, if you want to wear a camo, do it. I don't care if you're a girl or a boy. Um, but we don't want to put the gun in the hands of a child. And if we do, that they need to be supervised. We want to trust a weapon in the hands of an adult uh, because we believe that that person uh, can make wise decisions. And to me, that's sort of the difference between a child and a man, or on the other spectrum, a child and a woman, is that you were a girl, so we understand, you know, you, you went through these things, but now you're becoming a woman, so we need you to own your identity. We need you to be authentic. We need you to be responsible and to, you know, communicate in social settings in such a way um, that you own who you are. Because we expect that as a child you don't know who you are. When you say as a child, I want to be a fireman or I want to be an astronaut, we smile internally knowing that <laughs> you you probably won't do that. That's sweet, right? 
but these are evolving ideas and your your parent might say well you know next year you're going to want to do something else but as we grow up and we become an adult i think there comes a time where we're faced with an identity where we can either embrace it and say this is me or we can deny it uh we can be ashamed of it and i think when we deny it and we act ashamed of it 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 places us in very childlike responses if that makes sense we react immaturely about who we are and in relation to our society how we interact i don't know what do you think uh yeah i i agree with what you're saying i i think um that that line is is uh you're talking about maturity basically right when you tell your son I need you to be a man about this. You're talking about a, a maturity level, yeah, rather than strictly masculinity. Um, and but so, it, but what is uh, in your mind? What is the difference between, you know, masculinity and, and maturity? I mean, obviously they're different terms. Masculinity is specifically applying to grown-up males, but inherent in the term masculinity is maturity so what do you think is the relationship there between those two terms that's that's a good question and that i think one of the things that i was thinking about while you were talking i was kind of listening to you and trying to decide what is that difference you know um because i think uh maturity is is uh is 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 almost a different topic, right? Maturity and masculinity, it's almost, it's almost two different things. And yet they're still kind of related, obviously. Um, so I don't know. I was gonna, it's difficult because I, I feel like there's still something inside of me that says, I don't have enough of this. And um, when I think back on my childhood... And the fact that I was raised mostly by my grandmother and my mother, because my dad was always working. He was always out of town. He was always just, and he was there, but he just was always working. So I didn't have a lot of one-on-one time with him. And, and you know, the times that I did have with him, I tried to soak up as much as I could and wanted him to treat me like I was one of his, uh, you know, morons in the, in the Marine Corps and <laughs> make me do push-ups and, you know, like I wanted to kind of have him man over me, you know what I mean? And, and teach me, be tough, you know, and kind of like be strong with me. Um, because I felt there was, a, there was a craving for that kind of interaction that I didn't have with my mom and my grandmother, you know? I mean, my mom and grandma were teaching me how to sew and how to knit, and which was fine to learn as skills, but it didn't satisfy the craving in me to like, want to hit something you know <laughs> um and so i think i don't know man i, th- I think there's i don't know i don't know how, what you think of this but recently i've been listening to some other podcasts and other people talk kind of about our our uh, ancestry and our dna and like our primal roots and this kind of stuff and there's a group of people that believe that that our ancestors are basically written into our DNA. So if you have this long line of, of humans in your past, there's a little piece of them that passes all the way through the line to you to kind of write the code that makes you you. And so if you had some like warriors in your past, you have a kind of a bend towards wanting to be a warrior, you know? Um, and I think masculinity to a certain extent might be tied to something like that like when you had the the roles were very defined of like men went out and hunted and faced them like the dinosaurs <laughs> you know what i mean not the dinosaurs because that was before us but you know we were out there fighting creatures in in the wilderness and we had, there was no comforts you know we're living in caves and and we had these defined gender roles i think from what I know, I mean, I wasn't there, so I think, I mean, it seems like that's that's how it was, you know, from 
what we can tell. And so I don't know, maybe there's, there's this like part of every male that, that draws in from that primal like DNA that says, I got to go kill something. I got to go hit something. (laughs) I have to be, I have to stand up and fight for somebody. I have to protect something. You know what I mean? And maybe it's different for every man. And that's why we have kind of different bends towards certain things. You know, it's like, you may not have that urgency that I feel. It may not exist in you for that, that I got to go kill something. I got to go hurt something. I got to go break something. I feel that, but you may feel something else. That's more like, I got to stand up for, for this person. I have to protect these people. I have to voice my opinions here. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's written into your DNA code. That's your masculinity. You know, that's, that's your connection with your primal roots. What do you think? I don't know. Have you Hmm. ever considered that? One thing that went through my mind as you were saying that is I, I, I don't think we can reduce the gender roles into dichotomies of maybe this is what it's like to manifest being uh, masculine and this is feminine. I think there's a lot of overlap and a lot of bell curve there, which we need to look at with a certain amount of historicity. I mean, what we feel today is, I agree, probably... Uh, a result of generations and generations of people who have been doing things before us. Um, and so what do we do with that today? I would say then it would be the case that some of your perspectives, some of your desires are gifted to you and you don't have the option of rejecting them. So you were born into a certain family. You were born with a certain ethnicity. You were born into a certain region with a certain um, history of ancestors. None of that was your option. And then there are certain aspects of who you are uh, which you've adopted uh, over the course of your life. And you could say that you adopted them only because of where you were born into, and and maybe that is the truth, but I, I think there are maybe various portions of our identity that we have to come to terms with. One being what did I inherit? Uh, you know, what is it in me that I long for that I didn't ask to long for? I don't know why I'm interested in this. <laughs> I just am. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe for some people it's more physical. Maybe for some people it's more expressive artistically. Or for some people it manifests as music. And you think, I, I don't know why this is in me. Um, but it is, and I really want to pursue it. And then I think there's also another element that says, I want to quest. I don't think that's specifically a masculine feature. I think that women desire it to an extent, too. Maybe if you look at the data, which I don't have (laughs) because we just sort of sit down and started talking. So I feel like I'm going to say something now that I could Google and there will be uh, some better answers for. But I think if you were to look at the data, the desire for quest and the desire for adventure... Uh, there's a lot of overlap between the genders, and there might be that a certain percentage of men um, and a certain percentage of women are more likely to do one thing or another. But I think to live a life that doesn't permit us uh, the right of passage to move from, and going back again to the topic of maturity, to move from this dependent to somebody who is their own man or their own woman. Uh, leaves us wondering, are we really capable of taking care of ourselves? And I think when you go out and work with your hands, when you go out and you, you know, hunt your own food or you, maybe you garden, maybe you just go out in your backyard and you plant. My wife loves to plant things and grow them, things that we can buy down the store, like a mile away. (laughs) We could go down there and buy them, and it's not that they cost so much that we have to grow them. It's that she uh, experiences a great sense of satisfaction with the tactile um, expression of actually nurturing and bringing up these plants. So she can say, I did this. I mean, I planted this, I cared for it, and I brought it up. And that's something that buying it from Kroger doesn't provide for her. And I think that we want to be able to feel like I did this. And whether the I did this is rebuilding an engine or 
supplying your own food, literally bringing home the bacon, or whether maybe money is the I did this, saying, you know, I provided this amount of money so that my family can live like this, or, or um, uh, I, I don't know. I think that there is something in that which is integral to our sense that we are uh, a staple in society as an adult. We're no longer that dependent And I do think there probably is a difference between the desires of men and women. Where that lies exactly, I don't know, but I think they're kind of manifesting the same things. They want to be um, their authentic self in the context of community. Because you're not doing this in a vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. It, It isn't like you're going out and you're Uh, living as a hermit in the woods and you're hunting all your own food and you're cooking all your own stuff and even the hermits in the woods occasionally send mail bombs back to the you know real world (laughs) i mean you you don't just go off in the woods and forget people uh so we're living within that context and a lot of whether we feel like we're living up to it is determined by the way people perceive us on the outside and that's challenging Because we have to balance, we can't say it doesn't matter what the culture thinks, but we can't say all that matters is what the culture thinks. So we need a balance of being able to say, how do I fit into my culture, and how also can internally I satisfy the sense that I am am living authentically the way that I feel like uh, is a healthy way for me to live. I hope you guys are enjoying the conversation that we're having here. Um, if you like this podcast, if you like this episode, if you find this interesting at all, uh, you can give us a like or a share over at the Facebook page um, or facebook.com forward slash Tamale Mafia. Uh, we can, you can find the Tamale Mafia podcast uh, on just about any platform that you prefer to listen to. Um, and you can use that to, to uh, subscribe and share it with your pals. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, just about anywhere you want to listen to something, you will find the Tamale Mafia podcast. Okay, guys, appreciate you listening. Now let's get back to the conversation after this brief tunage from bensound.com thanks bensound talk about culture and how how we interact and how do we fit into that culture one of the things that i i'm concerned about in my culture is the idea of toxic masculinity and so i i feel like that term is a little bit ill-defined um and maybe left up to interpretation for some 
to just decide what what that is um and i think by a generic definition of my understanding the toxic masculinity has to do with uh the mis the mistreatment and abuse of women for one um and it being kind of disregarded as well boys will be boys that's just what boys do um you know we were even talking earlier alluding kind of momentarily about the culture that we were raised in 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 our youth and how uh, sex was seen and sexuality even and how there's a lot of pressure put on the girls yeah. to not be a temptation to the boys you know you got to dress cover yourselves up toxic because, femininity yeah because boys can't handle themselves because that's what boys you know what i mean yeah and i was even even then i didn't like it because i thought how is it their responsibility for me like dude can't you control yourself I mean, can't you control yourself? If you can't, that's a problem. That's a major problem. Yeah. You know, if you say, well, she was dressed this way. I couldn't. I mean, what, what does she expect? She expected to not be have that done to her. You know, you moron. And so I, I even back then, I didn't like that culture. I that ide, ideology. Yeah. Um, well, that also to me echoes this idea of what is the difference between what we think is normal for an immature human and what we think is normal for an adult. We don't, we don't allow minors to engage in sexual activity because we don't expect that they're intellectually full enough developed to make wise decisions on this. We, we don't allow children to get tattoos <laughs> because we think this needs to be a decision made by somebody with uh, you know, full control of their mental capacity, fully developed mind, because these are big decisions. So I think when you see men being treated like, well, they can't help themselves you know, when women dress that way, well, then these are immature guys. These are guys that didn't learn affect regulation. They didn't learn uh, what you might just call self-discipline. They never moved past the childhood phase of needing someone to stand over them to say, no, don't do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. We shouldn't need that as a mature adult. I should be able to control my actions and treat women with respect and not have to have some parental figure saying, no, it's not okay to you know, hit that person or call that person a name. We do expect that of children. And we give children a lot of leniency because of that. And when you see a child throwing a fit, in, in a grocery store, it's much different than seeing an adult throw a fit. I mean, we would be really shocked to see an adult throw a fit in the grocery right. store um, because we know that child just isn't to the point yet where he's capable of handling reality. That's why he has supervision 24-7. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that's tied in. And as we talk about it, it keeps in my mind coming up that maybe toxic masculinity, if we take masculinity as an attribute of manhood maybe toxic masculinity isn't really masculinity at all it's almost like the absence of masculinity yeah like if you were really manifesting masculinity you would not be taking these actions right you would be taking a role of protector and self-control and you know those kind of things that would be the opposite of i think but part of my my concern um with the the cultural idea of toxic masculinity is that there will be pushback against masculinity altogether so that there's not a difference between what's masculine and what is toxic masculinity but it's just manliness is just wrong you know um <laughs> you know if whatever thing that makes you a man you know, I like the color blue well, you can't freaking like the color blue because that's masculinity and it's wrong. You know what I mean? Right. Like if it gets pushed beyond uh, normal reason, which there's groups out there that always push beyond normal reason. So in some of those conversations that I've heard online and seen on Twitter and stuff, and I see, I mean, even I think uh, yesterday I read a headline that Cher, the music artist Cher, mm -hmm. tweeted out that there needs to be legislation where where women can control men's bodies. She was kind of, I think, trying to, like, make a play on abortion laws or things like that, you know? Yeah. So she was saying women should, should that we should have laws that 
where women should control men's bodies, where all men have to be circumcised. Was this, I assume this was sort of made sarcastically to highlight yeah. what it feels like as a woman to feel like guys have the right to do that yes. to you. Yeah. I don't think she was being serious. Like right. men, all <laughs> men need to be circumcised. But then she went further and said, and should carry a documentation to prove it or have to show their penis to, to prove it, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But, you know, that's a, to me, obviously sarcastic. But there's this idea that it, if you push things into that realm of just way out there, the absence of masculinity will will lead to a bunch a, a generation of men who probably feel ten times more like they're missing something than I have. You know what I mean? Yeah. The more that gets pushed back, the more that that masculinity gets pushed back. The uh, the the it's not natural and it's not okay. You know what I mean? It's like there's a craving that I have for masculine things. And so there's, there's, to me, that's natural. It's not unnatural. I, I didn't wake up and decide I want to be more masculine. It's just I have this craving in me that I, something is not complete. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't, not necessarily fear that, but it's just kind of sticks in me when, like pokes me in the side whenever I hear people talk about toxic masculinity and I go, what is that? What exactly are we talking about? Because if we're just talking about, you know, rape culture and, and sexual assault and abuse and, um, you know, workplace abuses and things like that, I'm totally on board. I'm on your team. Yeah. Let's, let's get rid of all of that. But if we're talking about pushing back against, young boys carry wanting to play with guns and wanting to, you know, fight with their brothers. And if we're pushing back against that, I'm not on board with that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, maybe let's, let's stick with the fight with your brothers. I don't know if I want to get into the young boys playing with guns. Well, toy, I mean, toy guns, like, <laughs> like uh, action figure guns, you know, things like that, like, like war fighting and play fighting. Yeah. Physical interactions. And, yeah. You know, things that, that, I enjoyed when I was a kid with my brothers. Um, so it's like, I don't know. Well, I have noticed a sort of unique facet of the male development is that at a certain point, usually around your teen years, um, boys become noticeably less physical, right? When you're younger, you tend to wrestle more. Even then, even at those ages, I believe statistically, what I've read at least, um, boys are are less physical, even prior to teen years, than girls are. But we do reach a place right as we're transitioning into adulthood, where there is a combination of internal um, feelings and external pressures to sort of stop uh, interacting physically. And I'm going to make a really weird correlation here. And if this doesn't work, I'm going to walk it back, hopefully. <laughs> but when I think <laughs> we'll just of, edit it out. you know, when I think of like uh, men's behavior in the workplace and men's behavior in public and, and the struggles traditionally with men being abusive or, or being um, repressive to women, uh, I, there's a correlation that came into my head of the struggles that the Catholic Church has had with priests who are supposed to be celibate getting in trouble with boys. Uh, here you have these people that are supposed to be a pretty extreme way, that are understandably having trouble being the way that they have committed to be. That part, the, the fact that celibacy is hard shouldn't surprise any of us, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then, because there isn't an outlet for them to to address this in a healthy way it's manifesting in very toxic ways it's manifesting in deceptive and hurtful ways towards the people that they're supposed to be protecting and helping uh, and the correlation that's coming to my mind there is I think we see men not understanding how to be vulnerable how to communicate how to talk about weakness and being raised in a culture where too tied to the idea of masculinity is this idea that you don't ask for help 
and you deal with everything yourself and you suck it up and you don't cry. Oh, yeah. And so what happens is you don't have men um, doing some of the healthy activities that women already are better at doing in a lot of cases, which is opening up more, um, being more external with our emotions. So you have men repressing these things and then manifesting them in very unhealthy ways. So when I hear you say, you know, I hope that we don't push masculinity off to the side and, and sort of villainize masculinity, I think, I hope that we begin more to include in the concept of masculinity the ability for men to be vulnerable and to be weak and to say, I need help. Because I think it is a problem if the idea of masculinity excludes those things and focuses only on the self-sufficiency, the strength, you know, and the, and the never needing help, mm-hmm. I guess. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And that, that, makes, that really raises a really interesting um, point because as you're saying that, I'm thinking, well, maybe the traditional idea of masculinity is just ill-defined i mean you and i have both sat here for the last 40 minutes trying to figure out what it is (laughs) and we're both men you know and we still don't really know how to say this is what it is um and so uh yeah i think i think if we could if we could make vulnerability um an acceptable part of masculinity and maturity uh, then that would, to me, that would open up a lot of like opportunity for people to say, okay, this is what, this is what this is. And I accept this and this is, this is good, you know? Um, because you're right. I think we, we, um, as men, a lot of times are, have a hard time expressing ourselves and, and kind of, you know, like you said, suck it up, don't cry, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, which brings me to, I guess, do we kind of wrap this up? Because we're not going to solve all of this in, in, uh, in an hour. But I just, think we should probably give a definition, some, you know, some low-level definition of... Of masculinity? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think a definition is there in our concepts. And, right, the definition will probably have to evolve. And, you know, we want to use statements that are current to our culture but when I say we should give a definition I think we should give a definition of where we're at with it now so if we came back a year from now we might change our definition of it even if the Oxford Dictionary definition hasn't changed at all but what does it mean to you based on this conversation what do you think here are some actions I am pursuing to try to uh, recapture the sense in myself that I am positively masculine. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of that I think has been, um, driven by my, just my time that I spend with my 12 year old son in itself, you know, and letting that kind of help define what does he need from me? He, he, he needs me to teach him how to go fishing. You know, there's skills that, that, um, that he wants me to pass on to him. And not just in a sense of, of this is, uh, about fishing, but that I have to know how to fish before I can teach him how to fish, you know? And you said something in your text message to me the other day that that was really profound to me about loving yourself and how a lot of this kind of masculinity and vulnerability, this whole conversation wraps up around the ability to fully accept and love yourself. And that has been primary in my pursuit of me is to try to learn how to love myself because I've spent so much of my life really not loving myself or not liking myself at all. And so again, to tie, to tie that together, he needs me to teach him that, you know, 
my yeah. dad didn't sit down and teach me how to love myself. It, it just wasn't part of any conversation we ever had, you know? Well, he was learning. He, he probably, I mean, I wonder today if you were to ask him, uh, I would guess that he probably is still on that journey and doesn't feel like he's there yet. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I wanted to learn how to love myself just for me, because I was, again, operating from a center of love is the only way we can love others. So you have to have love in order to give love. And if you don't love yourself, then you really can't love anybody else. It's just a a superficial attempt. So the true core of love is learning how to love yourself and, and, (laughs) <laughs> what was that? That was the wall. It's a child coming. Yeah. These are open air rooms. So. Um, and so that that is new to me. That's a new revelation to me is that I have to teach him. I have to pass down to him these skills. And so it's based on this conversation and my trying to understand what what all this means is it's less about the manifestation of things of working with your hands or being able to work with tools and more about self-presence like who you are and identity and being able to stand on that and say I know that this is who I am and I love myself mm-hmm. and then the ability to teach that to the next generation and pass that down I think and when you when you tie in vulnerability to that it opens the conversation even more because now I have an opportunity where I can sit down with him and say look I don't I don't get all this I don't really know but you know I'm gonna do my best yeah to to be this guy love myself and love you and teach you how to do that you know yeah. um, I'm so, a long way from the man that I think that I could be (laughs) in my head and there are many days where I'm disappointed by the man I conclude that I actually am Mm -hmm. you know um, and yet I think there's a beauty in that in the recognition that I'm on that journey and I'm not there yet uh, that I hope I always retain I don't know if I can ever say I made it yeah. So maybe masculinity, I would say, I, I love that definition. Something in the realm of, you know, living out love in all of its aspects from the unique vantage point of being a male. Uh, I don't want to use man there because I'm not trying to distinguish between boys and men. I'm not trying to distinguish between age, but the gender of mm. being male. Saying masculinity is you know, um, just manifesting the aspects of love from a unique vantage point, which is the male vantage point. Yeah. And what that means in your situation will be different than mine. Yeah. I like it. Maybe. I don't know. I'll have to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can come back in a year, maybe less. And, uh, and, see how we feel about it then but maybe one of us will uh have changed genders by then and we'll have a different perspective <laughs> well yeah talking i mean carefully treading on the idea of gender as it is we're we're only addressing two genders here in this conversation and uh, some would say that that is in itself a flawed conversation i um, feel like we really only addressed one gender in this conversation but well we yeah but you know we did briefly discuss the uh feminine briefly you mentioned the word like three times i think yeah i gotta bring the girls in there because yeah i don't think that you can define masculinity apart from the presence of femininity that it is the nature of the two distinctions that make each of them possible right otherwise we just say human and i i think to a certain extent there are a lot of times i just want to say Human, because so many of the issues we're talking about for guys have an analog for women, right? It's not unique to guys in mm-hmm. some regards. Um, maybe if anything, it's just that, you know, um, 
we have different ways of processing them, but so much of this is just very human. There's a lot of overlap between the two. And we're very different men, you and I. You're yeah. a guy who wears a gun in his hip every day, and I'm a guy who's never owned a gun in my life, and um, right. who, who, you know, my wife thought at various points that maybe I was gay and wasn't telling her. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, yeah, I f and, you know, your dad was in the military, and my dad was, uh, you know, soft-spoken. I never saw him do anything violent. or um, So I feel like we have some interesting differences in our approach to the conversation. Yeah, well, I think our, our differences have always been our strong point between us because you challenge me to see things that that really other people in my life don't don't challenge me towards because they don't have your unique perspective on life because if you, our lives are so have been so different yet in a lot of ways similar so we've had similar experiences from different perspectives with different backgrounds yeah and it's kind of brought us to this like place where we can discuss difficult things and I can walk away from it going wow okay I never considered that before but now that he said it <laughs> yeah, that's something to think about you know whereas I think a, a lot of times discussing difficult things difficult topics with certain people just doesn't work you yeah know? I can't discuss difficult topics with my dad because the conversation wouldn't last very long for one and right. Both sides would probably walk away going, that mother, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> so. Well, you know, there is, there is a way of approaching things in which there's the enemy and there's the allies, you know, and then there is a way of approaching things where you can't tell who the enemy is. And I think there are advantages and disadvantages to both. Uh, and I think knowing your dad just as little as I do and having spent time talking with him, I think that he likes to be able to approach a topic and clearly draw the line between who is on what side. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I grew up with people who did a lot of counseling and even though they had some fairly black and white views, I still feel like I took away from them uh, the idea of nuance and having spent a lot of time researching psychology and stuff. I tend to look at situations and just don't see good guys and bad guys at all. Don't see people who are necessarily right and wrong. I just see a bunch of humans trying to figure stuff out and coming to different conclusions. Yeah, and I get that from you all the time. That's one of the things I've learned from you, I think, in just in our conversations and hearing you talk to other people. Um, I've learned to try to take that approach. It's very difficult for me with my background and, and how I was raised very difficult for me to take to take that a, a gray area approach but I try to and I find myself a lot of times in when I'm in conversations saying okay how would Brewster formulate his <laughs> response here what would he say or how and it normally it all, almost always is what question would he ask because you you're I mean in this podcast you have um, shared a lot of thought and opinion but in an ordinary conversation with you, you're really the one asking all the questions. Yeah. And I tried not to make you talk the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I appreciate that. Um, but uh, I've, so that's what I've learned from you, I think, in dealing with other people is like, how would, how would uh, you approach this and what questions would you ask? And I try to formulate that in my head. And then take that approach to a conversation because sometimes, I mean, you're right. We're all a bunch. We're all people. We're all a bunch of humans trying to figure it out. And I don't think anybody has it quite there in any uh, respect. But yeah, man, we've said it all. We've said plenty. <laughs> um, we solved the world's problems. We did. We solved it. Toxic masculinity, masculinity. It's all solved in this podcast. So next time, are we going to talk femininity? Yeah, man. I mean, you want to really get me confused on <laughs> something I don't know anything about? Let's talk about that. Um. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Yes, sir. Love you. Love you, too. Well, there you have it. We said it all. We said plenty. I don't know that we answered the questions properly or even began to scratch the surface of that topic, but... 
we did our very level best to fit as much as we could into one hour. And I'm sure we'll come back at a later date and continue that conversation um, or other conversations because I love having conversations with Mr. Brewster. So uh, let me leave you with this. The very purpose of this conversation was because we have these questions in our minds that we battle with and we struggle with. And ultimately, it's not about finding the perfect answer, but it's about doing the things that you feel compelled to do to make you feel like you're becoming more whole and you're becoming a better person. And passing that information down to your offspring, to your next generation, wherever your influence is. All right, so press into it. Don't be afraid of it. And uh, we'll catch you guys on Thursday. Peace out. The Tamale Mafia podcast is brought to you by me. The Tamale Mafia podcast is on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Podcast Addict, and a bunch of other places. For more information about the Tamale Mafia podcast, find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Tamale Mafia. Our intro music is brought to you by me. Our transition music is brought to you by bensound.com. For more royalty-free music, check out bensound.com. Our outro music is brought to you by Lim. For more mind-blowing intellectual electronic tracks, go to soundcloud.com forward slash get limb. That's L-I-M-N. And as always, thanks for listening.